That's philosophy. Is that a sport? Uh, no, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Would you like to talk about the meaning of life, darling? Sure, why not? Philosophy for two? Right. Welcome to another episode of the Philosophy Guy podcast, and today we are doing in kind of the first real episode of the Westworld series where we really get down into the issues. I, I did an introduction I wanted to release before the season ended to kind of give you, give Westworld fans essentially a kind of a taste of what we'll be covering in this series, but uh, before we dive into the show, I want to cover a few general podcast items to get out of the way, the, the fun stuff that everyone I'm sure is really looking forward to, <laughs> but I'm just excited to cover this stuff in the beginning of the episode, uh, partially for selfish reasons, I will say, so that more people uh, can hear it, because I put it at the end, people usually click off before they get to hear it, and I want to at least give people the opportunity to hear it, so you know, in case they want to support the, the podcast, they'll have an opportunity to do that. So first thing I will say is I'm doing a book giveaway at the end of each series for supporters, so for example, at the end of this Westworld series. So to enter the series, all you have to do is email me a screenshot that you've been that you've subscribed uh, my email will be below but it, i'll also say it's just it's the philosophy guy 2 at gmail.com i i missed the boat on getting the philosophy guy in general at gmail.com but that's okay um, but also you can get a second entry by sending me a screenshot of a rating and or review you left for the podcast, then I'll randomly uh, select from those who submitted and you get basically a chance to win the the book, that is, books that I'm giving away that'll deal more with the in-depth issues of Westworld and might probably will go, well, not probably, it will go more in-depth than even I go, but some people just like to have book formats and dive more into these issues. Uh, but, and this little giveaway does connect with my newly launched Patreon page, which I'll have, so I'll have a link below and you can also get that link through my website or just search the philosophy guy on patreon uh, and this kind of provides some bonus goodies as well it's not just a it's not just a donation so i won't um give all the details of the tiers just because i don't want to bore you too much with this kind of business stuff before we get into the podcast but essentially you will receive things like bonus entries into the giveaways i do for each series um access to my bonus feed which will have bonus episodes from the series because not every Everything's going to kind of, I guess, what's the proper way to say it? Not everything's going to make the cut for what I cover in the kind of general philosophy series. I'll go into a few, few more details of things um, and, and provide those as bonus episodes. So if people want to know more about the philosophy of Westworld, essentially, in, the, in those ideas, I'll put them in the bonus episodes. And I'll be con continually adding things to that as well. Basically, thank my supporters. Uh, you'll also get access to newsletter, a page, voting on future content covered. So if you want to kind of help be my uh, my master, my dictator, <laughs> and uh, decide what content I cover next, uh, that's a good way to do that and vote for that. And you can see what tier for that. So it's fun, fun stuff like that. And I'd encourage you to at least check it out if it's see if it's something you're interested in. If you like the concept of the, the podcast, the more support I have, the sooner support I have, the sooner I have the support, uh, the, the quicker this content will be put out because, you know, basically I'll be able to 
put more effort into the the content and providing it. So I'll also mention the Amazon affiliate link and that'll be on my website, but I also should have a link below if I can figure it out (laughs) by the time I post this. But I just want to kind of provide these ways to support the show because with support, it covers the cost of the podcast, keeps the lights on in my house, motivates me to create more content, spend more time in my research, provide faster turnover essentially for content. Because I basically research, I'll research, keep researching everything the same. It's just, I'll be able to spend more time at that research in bigger chunks and get it out quicker. So anything basically helps at this point, and I appreciate the support I've had so far. But I please, I'd encourage you to at least subscribe and uh, leave the re- a review because that helps out a lot at this point. Um, so now that we have that boring stuff out of the way, let's get into the episode. So today we are covering the consciousness question raised in Westworld with a priority on establishing. Uh, a human-like consciousness so we can kind of determine later if the hosts meet this criteria for having personhood. But typically, if we establish a human-like consciousness, I think the hosts easily qualify for, for some form of personhood that would make it morally wrong, at the least, to rape and murder them, right? So getting that bias out of the way on my side. But I want to I want this to be my, my first official topic covered because it delves into the idea of consciousness, and I think it's an important question to be had before we dive into the other philosophical questions the show covers, including the moral implications of personhood. It's one of those basic questions that questions the show hints at Sure, it's trying to determine if they have consciousness or getting the host to that point. But at the end of the day, the show is trying to make the host appear to be humans, lifelike humans. So I think the more interesting questions is the implications of the host having personhood, but consciousness is the foundational piece to that puzzle. I think intuitively, when foreseeing the show, seeing how lifelike the hosts are, how much like humans they act and seem like, these, these mannerisms, word choice, they're all human-like in the park. It absolutely feels wrong to randomly kill them intuitively, or at least it should, I think. So what, what does this say to start in, in, in those intuitive feelings we have when we first see the show and first see the host? To, to start from that point, I think we should point out a couple issues with the show. I know, I know, it's just a show, but some kind of particular issues from a moral standpoint that I feel like should be at least be said or addressed to some extent. So Ford has this great technology, right? He goes to some rich investors with this technology. You know, I get they're doing other things in the park with the IP and find out a way and, and we find out more in season two with them trying to transfer human consciousness into the host system brains, essentially trying to transfer from biological human brains to host brains. It's kind of the best way I can phrase it. But what good is this human-like AI technology? What's, what's a good way to use it, right? Let's, let's just make a giant theme parks. I'm just imagining Ford like, hey, I have this technology. My buddy Arnold and I, it's a, we, we developed it. It's AI, human-like AI. You can't even tell the difference between them and humans. Maybe... Just maybe we could put them in the real world, place them into the job force, clone humans, like maybe lifelong lost spouses, children or relatives. We can kind of clone them, figure something out with that. I don't know. The possibilities are endless. Those are just a couple I could think I I would mention that kind of maybe would benefit society and humankind. But the board members, the guys with all the money, they're like, nah, nah, let's... Let's lock them in a park so rich people can rape, torture, and murder human-like hosts without consequences. That sounds like a better idea. Hooray for, you know, rapey cowboys. That's what they decided to do. Then I have imagine Ford being like, okay, 
maybe, maybe we can turn off their suffering since, you know, they are programmed to suffer like actual people, you know, like people with human rights and stuff, those things, uh, board members. They respond with, nah, nah, real suffering. Even though from what the show implies, most of the guests think it's impersonated suffering and not actual suffering, but we know the hosts feel the pain and suffering, essentially, at this point. It's just a question of if the guests know that side of things. So, I mean, you can imagine the sick people this type of place would invite. Murderers, rapists, serial killers. I mean, damn. The things that they could have done with this place are endless, but, you know, let's let's put it in the theme park, right? But for the purposes of this series, we're going to kind of avoid the knife issue as well. <laughs> the fact that visitors can't tell who's who. And so what's stopping a guest from knifing other guests, you know, right in the gut because they thought they were a host and they pissed them off and they just decided to stab them. So that stuff aside, we're going to leave that stuff aside. But the point is when you get to the park and you're seeing these lifelike hosts, if you have these intuitive moral issues with murdering, raping, and torturing the host, justifiably so, it probably says a lot about your position on whether or not the host have personhood similar to or at the same level of human biological personhood. But another thing to remember, it's not so much that it's up to the host to prove to humans that they have intelligence, consciousness, self-awareness. It's more up to the humans to determine that the host don't. So I mean, damn, philosophy, science, and the philosophy of science can't determine what consciousness is. How the hell can we expect some high-tech AI just to just prove it to us? And I don't think it's reasonable to say we will know it when we see it because we say we have it, but we can't exactly pinpoint why we have it. So why would we expect hosts to be able to do the same thing, be able to pinpoint why they have it? So to kind of lay this out on why we should at least believe to some extent or that that it's verifiable to some way that the hosts have it. So we're going to bring up the age-old Turing test to determine the consciousness of the host. So Alan Turing's Alan Turing's Imitation Game. If you haven't seen the movie about Alan Turing, uh, the Imitation Game, is it, it just happens to be called, uh, I would highly recommend it. It's an amazing uh, film, portrays the, the tragic story. So I'd uh, recommend that you guys check that out. But anyway, to give you uh, the, the short answer for what the Turing test is, essentially, if during a personal interaction with one of the hosts, let's say when younger William uh, first visits the park, he has interactions with the host, the first one is the hot blonde woman who tells him to decide between the white and the black hat, kind of this this foundational moment of the show. William can't tell if the hot blonde woman is a host or a human. He has to ask. Thus, hot woman passes the Turing test because you can't tell which is which. Thus being that the host must be sentient, essentially. So I will know, although the host would pass a Turing test, we don't actually have a machine that has, in the actual world, passed the Turing test. So I mean, even, I mean, if many of the hosts existed in the real world and you didn't know they were artificial, you would probably conclude that they are minded, which would be completely rational to do so, in my opinion. It's safe to say all the hosts in Westworld, even those that are not the specifically selected by Arnold would pass a Turing test. But for the host, I mean, Bernard fooled 
everyone in the show and many in the audience in the fact that he was actually a host this whole time. We don't find out officially until the seventh episode of the first season that Bernard is actually a host. However, I know we can't be certain of this, but remember, knowledge doesn't require certainty. I mean, you can't be certain that other humans aren't androids, for example, or how do we know other humans are not walking around without minds? Maybe you or I are the only ones truly with a mind. You don't need the certainty. Just like humans, if someone behaves pretty much like you, you should be safe to conclude that they have minds driving their behavior like you. Now, I feel like nowadays in the debate of consciousness, I must mention the Chinese room as well in this question because it's kind of a critique on the Turing test. Uh, Many said the test wasn't good enough. The Turing test, I'm, I'm saying that the Turing test only simulated stimulus and response. The American philosopher John Searle Uh, reintroduce the mind into the AI question with the Chinese room. So to kind of lay out the Chinese room, imagine your uh, your friendly neighborhood Bob, who speaks only English, works in a room filled with books. Slips of paper with Chinese writing on them are slid through a slot in the door, and it's Bob's job to write responses. He does this by locating the written Chinese characters in one of the books. The book then tells him what to do. Bob writes the characters and slips it back. The people slipping Bob the paper probably assume the room speaks Chinese, but Bob doesn't. But Bob doesn't. He's just using books. Now apply this to a human-host interaction. The Chinese room is saying that the hosts are just good at pretending to be human, but they don't know what it's actually like to be human, think like a human, and speak human language. So at first, this may seem like a good objection, but like we we kind of mentioned earlier, can we pinpoint the area of the brain that is consciousness? You would say the hosts are just reading code like Bob in the Chinese room, reading the books. They kind of translate together. Bob reading the Chinese books is like the host reading the code that they were provided. Bob was just reading the books and the knowledge that he was provided. But how is this different from us reading our own internal biological code? So instead of seeing Bob as a mind imitating consciousness, think of Bob as a as a piece of the puzzle. Bob, Bob is interpreting knowledge held within the room, the Chinese room being the mind. Between the room, Bob, and the books of knowledge for the language of Chinese, you could say it's it successfully knows Chinese, and you can have a conversation essentially with the room. It works collectively. So this argument could also be made between humans and hosts. So our coding, our minds work collectively to produce, at the very least, perception of consciousness. In the modern host and westward pass at fooling us with flying colors at this at at the very least this perception of consciousness so essentially the chinese room the host and humans they take in inputs and produce an action output that's kind of what it's all saying about consciousness in some way although the chinese room and ford for that matter would still think that the room and, and this goes for um john surreal as well doesn't have consciousness But if that room doesn't, can we truly say that we do actually have consciousness? If the room doesn't, chances are we might not have consciousness either. True consciousness, or at least what our perception of what it is. So, or is it merely the perception of consciousness and knowing something? Maybe the host, humans, and the Chinese room are all performing an imitation of what we perceive to be consciousness, our own definitions of what consciousness is. So maybe you think that the host are different from our 
consciousness because they have no clue. Well, until a few wake up, that is, that they are, that they realize they're living in a park, a park where their meaning is provided for them to please the guests. But this fact doesn't make them different from us just because they weren't self-aware of their surroundings. So for example, a good example of this is look at the Truman show, the, the TV show. Truman is in a park, not the TV show. The movie, The Truman Show, that has Truman stuck in his own TV show for people to watch. So Truman's in a park of his own, essentially, providing pleasure to the viewer's eyes, his set purpose. At first, he had no reason to doubt his reality. Him being forced into a role didn't make him any less conscious than us. And we as humans are not any different. When we don't doubt our reality, we perceive no reason to, just like Truman in The Truman Show. Uh, but I'm bringing this up to determine the host consciousness and how it's up to us to prove that they don't have it. If it's not different from our form, we have no reason to say they are not conscious. So it kind of goes back to it's up to us to prove that they don't have it. And based on this, both the Chinese room and the Turing test, we, we don't we seem to not be able to prove that they don't have it. So Ford has a great quote in the show. There is no threshold that makes us greater than the sum of our parts. No inflection point at which we become fully alive. We can't define consciousness because consciousness does not exist. Humans fancy that there's something special about the way we perceive the world. And yet we live in loops, as tight and as close as the host do. Seldom questioning our choices, content for the most part, to be told what we do next. The point being, the perception of consciousness or the perception of consciousness for both humans and hosts comes down to the sum of our parts. One is bones and neurons and flesh. The other is mechanics and circuitry. I mean, us as humans tend to assume we are conscious. But for the sake of this debate, we are trying to determine if the hosts have consciousness like humans to determine if they have personhood, which by consequence would give them some sort of human rights. And this episode only scratches the surface of the debate of consciousness, but I think it establishes a thoughtful discussion about the topic. The important question I think is answered is if consciousness exists, the host have at least, at least a comparable level to humans. And if it doesn't, will the hosts still meet the human-made standard of consciousness to check that off the checklist for establishing personhood and providing them with some moral worth and moral, possibly, we'll look at later, moral responsibility. So in the next episode, we will dive deeper into the criteria for personhood and if the hosts have it and if it's at the level of humans. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.